was given an incredible gift in the year 1888. Uh, we need to switch to the front computer. Um, on that day, he woke up, picked up the newspaper, and read his obituary. He read the story of his life at, to that date. And as he was reading that story, he became alarmed by the content of that obituary. You see, Alfred's brother had actually been the one who had passed away. But the newspaper, in responding to what they had heard, made the mistake. And instead, because Alfred was pretty well known, they had an obituary ready. And so when they heard of his death, wrongly, they published that obituary. What troubled Alfred as he read it was that his life had really been a desire to want to bring peace to the world. He desired to bring unity among people. But the other thing about Alfred was that Alfred had created an invention in the early 1800s. Nitroglycerin had been around, but it was so unstable that no one could use it, even though it was explosive, it was useful in tunneling and things like that, because of its sensitivity. No one was able to use its properties. So Alfred found a way to create a binding agent. And that binding agent would then take the nitroglycerin, hold it together, and you could simply put a fuse in it, light it, and it would explode. We know that material now is dynamite. Alfred was the inventor of dynamite, and so in his obituary, as he was reading it, this man who actually thought his invention would bring peace, later found out it would not, found out that his obituary declared him as the dynamite king, the great industrialist who had made his immense fortune through explosives and had become an instrument, a means by which death had taken a exponential leap particularly in warfare, in the ability to kill people. As Alfred read his obituary, he realized that was not what he wanted to be known as. His desire was to be known as a man of peace, a man that brought people together, not destroyed them. And so Alfred took his immense wealth and endowed it in order that he might honor those who in the world brought about peace, who brought about reconciliation between people. And so Alfred, Nobel, introduced the Nobel Peace Prize. And when he would die a few decades later, Alfred Nobel, you don't know Nobel, that name, as the Dynamite King. You know him as the man who established the highest honor for those that create peace and reconciliation in our world, 
the Nobel Peace Prize. You see, Nobel was given an incredible gift. And that gift was that he was allowed to read his obituary to see what people would ultimately say about him when he left the scene. He was given the gift of being able to determine what it was that he wanted his life to be known for. And so he took the steps to make sure that his life would be known as a life committed to peace. There's an incredible passage that is found in Ecclesiastes 7, where the writer of Ecclesiastes declares that it is better to go to the house of mourning than to the place of celebration. The writer goes on to say there is wisdom there. There is the knowledge that all of us have a point in our lives where our temporal existence will come to an end and we will take a heritage. We will take the impact of our lives and pass it on to a new generation. Pass it on to the days beyond our temporal existence. And the question becomes, what do you want your life to be known as? Now, I know when you're 12 or 15 or 18 or 28 or 38 or 48, you're not thinking much about the end. But we should all be thinking about the question, what do I want my life to be known for? What do I want my life to count for? There was a wonderful commercial years ago. Remember Tombstone Pizzas? Were they up here? They were down south. And the commercial was, what do you want on your tombstone? And the answer was, pepperoni. But it confronted us with the idea of running the race with the end in mind. What kind of story Do you want told about you? We are now at the very end of the story of Abraham's life. And when you come to Genesis chapter 25, I invite you to turn there. You you read these 19 verses that speak about the very end of this man's existence. And you read about a man who had a consistency about his life. They became the testimony, the the declaration, the story of his life. When you read Genesis chapter 25, what the writer of Genesis is wanting us to do, he's wanting to demonstrate that, that demonstrated faithfulness, that if we remain faithful to God's purpose, to God's will, to God's character, to what God would have us to be in response to the wonderful things that he is doing in our lives, that that kind of demonstrated faithfulness to the end results in spiritual blessing for those who follow. My life makes a difference that echoes beyond my temporal existence. 
As you read Genesis chapter 25, it's a bit confusing because there are all these strange names that are listed there. And you you read about all of these different children that Abraham had. We'll talk about that in a few moments. And you read these strange names and you read these strange nations. And then you read about Ishmael and you read about his family and about the things that came forth from him. And the whole theme, the whole idea there is that in response to the faithfulness of Abraham, God was faithful even beyond his days. Now, as you begin to read through this, the first thing you begin to understand is, as God's people have promised, our aim is to end this earthly journey well. That we are to remain consistent. That if we come to know Christ as our Savior, if we seek to follow in, in obedience to him, if we understand his promises and his covenant in our lives, wherever we begin that journey, whether it's when we were a child or whether it's when we were a teen or whether it's when we were a young adult or whether it's in those middle years or whether it's at the end of our lives, the idea is to remain consistent and to run that race, to walk that journey, to live that life in a consistent way so that at the end the story that is told is one that will bless and impact and affect in a positive way those that follow. Now, if you come to Genesis chapter 25, the first couple of verses there kind of fill in Abraham's life after the death of Sarah. And there's a couple things that we need to know, probably some things that we weren't aware of. The story provides a few of the details of Abraham's life after Sarah died. A couple of things we need to know is, first of all, Abraham lived to 175 years old. That's old. And he has lived a hundred years as a believer in God's promises. That's a long time. Abraham has his story. Abraham has his story of God's call upon his life. Abraham has his story of the times that he was faithful and the times that he chose to believe what God had promised and how God was faithful in fulfilling his promises and accomplishing his purpose. Abraham had stories in his life about when he had failed and chose to walk not in faith but in in disbelief. He has that story. And Do you know why we know what happened in Abraham's life? Because he was willing to share the story of a hundred years walking with the Lord. I've never known anyone to do that. I've known some old people. Growing up in the church that I grew up in at First Baptist in Allentown, there was this wonderful couple. Their name were the Davises. They were in their 90s. They had met in China as missionaries in China, and they were, had this incredible story. But even in 90, they hadn't lived 100 years as believers. 100 years. We learn that Abraham had a, another wife after Sarah died. 
Now, there's some question as to when he married her. Maybe he married her. You know, they had multiple wives back then. He might have been before Sarah's death. But the story of her comes after Sarah's death. So the thought is he probably married her after Sarah's death. But Abraham took another wife. And had a bunch of kids. How would you like to be a father at 125? We learn that Abraham lived to see the early adult years of his grandchildren. If you work out the chronology of when Sarah died and when Isaac was born and when all of the events took place, he saw his grandkids. They were probably young adults when he died. But the real focus of Genesis chapter 25 is on his faithfulness. The story provides a glimpse of his abiding character to the very end, a man that was outstanding in the ways that he cared for others. Now, one of the ways is this. Abraham demonstrated his goodness in the abundance given the children of his concubines. As you read through there in Genesis chapter 25, and you read through all of those different strange names and all of the ones that were born and who was born from them, and you read about four different generations. You read about Abraham and then the children that he bore through... um, through um, um, Keturah, and then you read about uh, their kids, and you read about their grandkids. You're reading through this, and what it declares in verse 5 is Abraham left everything he owned to Isaac, but while he was still living, he gave gifts to the sons of his concubines and sent them away. Now, when you read that, that doesn't strike us. But in that time, Abraham owed nothing to those children. He wasn't required to give them one bit of wealth. And yet he cared enough about them and probably included in that is not only the ones from from his later concubine, but also Ishmael, Hagar's son. You see, a man of character. You see, a man that demonstrated his commitment to God's purposes. And again, it's very important in the writing here, and the author makes sure that we know that, that though he gave gifts to his concubines, it says very, very clear that he gave everything he owned, his inheritance, the full inheritance, went to Isaac. We'll read it again that Isaac would inherit all of them and he would send the other children away. Why? Because he knows God's promise. God's promise was that Isaac was the child of promise, that Isaac was the one that God was working in in a unique way. Not that God didn't care about the others. He did. We know that. They became great nations. But to the very end, he took God's promises And he lived on the basis of them. He made his decisions based upon what he knew about God and what God was doing and what God had promised to the very end of his life. As long as he could make those decisions, he did so. And then finally, Abraham demonstrated his belief 
in God's promise to the very end. He was buried in a land where the only thing he owned was the cave in which he and his wife were buried. Why? Because that was the land that God promised him. And though he had not yet seen it fully fulfilled to the very end of his life, he would live out the implications of those promises. He would not abandon that. Now, as you read through there, though, something begins to strike us. It is true that Abraham, according to these little glimpses, finished the race well. It's what we are called to do. Again, wherever you are in your life, you are in that race that God has given to you. It is not a sprint. It is a marathon. But all the way we seek to run it in a way that is pleasing and honoring to God. So that the end, when we cross that tape, we've run it in a way that honors him. That fulfills the wonder of what God has done in our lives. Paul said it this way, possibly just hours before he was beheaded. For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but all who have longed for his appearance. Now, again, I want to speak to all of us. Those of you who are more like me with the gray hair and feeling a little stiff this morning, every morning, we understand that we may only have a few decades left. We understand that the end of the race is probably getting pretty close. But what if you're 12? What if you're 22? Two things I would say. First of all, we never know how long the race is. And so God calls us to faithfulness now. And there is throughout church history, those of you who are younger, those of you who are teens and young adults, the story of those who, though they ended their life in early age, had an impact through the way they chose to be faithful, even in the midst of struggles. We never know when that life will end. But even more so, To live a life that says, I seek to honor God in all that I do. Paul says, when we do that, there is an honoring that comes from God. There is a blessing that pours out through all of our life for those who are faithful. But I have a problem with Genesis chapter 25. 
And it's this. The story leaves so many questions unanswered. Wouldn't you love to know what kind of grandfather Abraham was? I'd love to know, you know, what was he like? What was he like in those older? How do you be a grandfather at 145 years of age? I'd love to know the answers to those. I'd love to know, by the way, God doesn't promise that our lives were going to end just perfect and wonderful for Abraham. It happened to, but there were great struggles at the end of Abraham's life. One of the biggest was that he had a son named Isaac who took a wife named Rebecca, who was just like Sarah, unable to have children. And they struggled for years, wondering how the promise would be fulfilled. And I can hear Abraham going, here we go again. How did he handle that? I don't know. Did Abraham have his mental and physical faculties up to 175 years of age? What was he like at the end? What was his physical condition? I don't know. The reason is because the writer of Genesis 25 is not focusing on on Abraham. The main theme is not Abraham. Yes, Abraham ended well. Yes, Abraham held on to those promises. Yes, Abraham was faithful to the very end. But that's not the primary focus. The primary focus is not Abraham. The primary focus is God. That God is faithful. Even when we don't know what the result will be. Even when God takes us out and things still go on. God remains faithful. And so over and over and over and over again in Genesis 25 verses 1 through 19. God's faithfulness. God's certainty. God who will fulfill his promises and will work out his character in every situation is the dominant theme all the way through. Why does he list all of these weird named people to tell us that God was faithful? Why does he tell us that Abraham lived to an old age and that he had good days at the end, that he went to be with his, his, his forefathers? Why does the writer tell us that? Because he wants us to know that God is faithful. Why does he end the story with Ishmael and the fact that Ishmael had this many children and that this many children created this many nations because the writer was saying God is faithful to every promise he makes. Why do we end with Isaac and Rebekah and the focus upon them? Because God is faithful. And so when you read these kind of difficult verses to read and you, you know, read through all of those names, and, and I've told you, how do you, you know how to handle biblical names? You just say them. And then everyone goes, oh, that's how you pronounce it. You see, the theme all the way through here is simply this. God is faithful to his promises and purposes even when we're absent. Even when God has called us home 
He is faithful now. He is faithful tomorrow. And he is faithful into eternity. That's what this is all about. That's what all of these names and stories and the way it's, it's put together and the, the, the order that things move in is the author is trying to tell us God is faithful. You see it in a number of different ways. You see that God faithfully fulfills his promises in this life. Now, be careful. Sometimes we're convinced that some things are promises that God has never promised. God never promises that your kids are going to be perfect. I know some of you are going to go to Proverbs and, you know, train up a child in the way she'll go. And then when he's old, he should not depart from it. Yes, but that's not a promise that your kids aren't going to have struggles. That's not a promise that your kids aren't going to walk away from the Lord for a while and struggle and have difficulty and all of the rest. Be careful. Make sure it's a real promise. God doesn't promise that I'm going to have health, wealth, and, you know, and, and authority all of my life. No. God promises to be with me no matter what the circumstances. God promises to strengthen me. God promises to use every event in my life to accomplish the goodness of his eternal purpose for his glory, for his kingdom, and in my life. Now, in Abraham's life, God prospered Abraham as he promised. He said, I will prosper you, Abraham. Genesis chapter 15, verse 15. It almost is exactly the same words as you find here in Genesis chapter 25, where God says, I will give you old age. I will give you a a good life. I will bless you. God was faithful. God brought nations from this childless couple as he promised. You know, the story, Abraham comes to the gathering of his friends and they say, oh, what's your name? And he says, my name's Abram. Oh, the father of many. How many children do you have? Uh, None. You know, 25 years later, he comes back to the same gathering and it's, oh, hi, Abram. No, now it's Abraham. Oh, the father of many nations. Oh, how many children do you have? Uh, One. And yet, but God promised a childless couple in Genesis chapter 17, verse 3, that they would be, that he would produce great, not only nation, but nations. That's why you have all those funny sounding names. Because God was faithful. God fulfilled what he said he would fulfill. Even when it seemed impossible, God was faithful. God faithfully fulfills his promises beyond this life. You see that interesting little verse that's written where it says, let me turn to Genesis chapter 25. Altogether, Abraham lived 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last, and he died at a good old age, an old man and full of years. And then he says this, and he was gathered to his people. You know what's so interesting about that phrase? Some say, well, that just means that he was buried with his family. No, he wasn't. He was buried in the promised land. In fact, usually when that phrase is used, he was gathered to his people, 
the people who it's talking about were somewhere that God had promised them they would be. It is probably more a reflection of the idea of an Old Testament understanding of life after death. Now, their theology of eschatology, doesn't that sound great? Their theology of after, after these times was not well developed. But they understood that God would be faithful. He would gather them. So I was thinking about that. I thought about what God promises to us. First, First Thessalonians chapter 4 talks about the fact that, that God is faithful. And that God will allow those who are dead in Christ to be resurrected. There's an incredible phrase in the New Testament that we can use that the Old Testament people didn't understand. And that is the idea of being dead in Christ. That those who are dead in Christ live on. That they continue. And that there is an eternity for those. There is a faithfulness of God now, and there's a faithfulness of God into eternity. We read in 2 Corinthians about the fact that we are absent from this body, this fleshly tent. And at that very moment, we are present with the Lord. Those who face the loss of a loved one who is a believer, it hurts. But the knowledge is that that one that we miss is now in the very presence of the God of glory. Or we think about 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which declares that death is swallowed up in victory. That those of us who are alive will not proceed. Those that are dead, but the Lord will return. And all of us will be gathered unto him. God is faithful. But finally, uh, no, not quite finally. God faithfully uses our stories to encourage others. Beloved, those of you been walking with the Lord for a while, Share it with those that are behind. Share it with those that are in the midst of struggles that you may have remembered a while back. In a few, in a few weeks, in November, the first week of November, we're going to have one of those evening communions again. What's the idea behind that? So we can have more food at the communion time? No. It's to give us an opportunity to share, to do this very thing, to share our stories with one another, how God has been faithful, how God has delivered, how God is there even in the midst of the struggle, how in the midst of the struggle, I seek God's um, presence and I seek your prayers. And it is an opportunity to share about what God is doing. Why do we have small groups? Just because it's fun to get together? Well, yeah, but it's to share our stories. To let other know, others know that God is faithful, even in the midst of the struggle. And let's face it, the older you've been around, the more stories you have. 
Abraham, we are encouraged to appropriate God's promises through faith. That's the story of Abraham's life. Yes, he failed at times, but God was still faithful. And he found that when he was faithful to God, God just poured out upon him. And so Paul says, 2,000 years later, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. And here's his story. It was credited to him as righteousness. Not when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as I'm sorry. Now, when a man works, his wages are credited to him as a gift, not as a gift. Try that again. Now, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. How do we know that story? Because God allowed Abraham to share it. And we see God's faithfulness. We are encouraged to remain faithful, trusting in his promises, even when we fail. You know, the wonderful story about Abraham is the sense of the ups and downs. The times he walked by faith, the times he was faithless. But God was faithful. And through that walk, through those years, the faith of Abraham grew and grew and grew so that when God said to him, take Isaac and put him on the altar, he could believe God even though he didn't know how it would all work out. 2,000 years later, The writer of Hebrews could tell us the story of God's faithfulness that blesses us. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. The word there is only begotten. It echoes throughout the Old and New Testament. But Abraham believed, even though he couldn't understand, he reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively, he did. I want my stories told. When we sit around the dinner table, one of the things we do is we tell stories. Austin's gotten into that now. And so we'll sit around and we'll start telling stories and he'll say, more stories, more stories, more stories. But I want those stories not just to communicate, you know, the, the funny things and the silly things that we did. But that God was faithful. And that when we choose to be faithful in response, God is good. But there's one more I want to hit on. Because this becomes the foundation of what we're going to do in October. And that is when we are faithful, God accomplishes in our lives more than we could ever imagine. When you read through Genesis, the writer of Genesis puts it together in a very unique way. You have Genesis chapters 1 through 9, which deal with creation and then the fall and the corruption of mankind and God bringing the the flood and restoring mankind again. But then in Genesis chapter 10 and 11, God sees man coming together in order 
to oppose God. And so in Genesis chapter 11, he scatters the nations. And God's original purpose of a unified people serving him is destroyed. When we get to to Revelation and we read the end of Revelation, and we are standing in heaven, the very words that are used back in Genesis chapter 11 of every tribe, every nation, every people, every language, is used of the great heavenly gathering where John looks out and sees every nation, every people gathered together, unified, not now against God that God would scatter them, but now unified for God to bring him praise and glory and honor. And the path to that came through a man by the name of Abraham. As we talk about racism and reconciliation and things like that in October, one of the major themes of that idea is the unity we have as God's people, where God brings all together. And we understand now under Christ. God was accomplishing beyond anything Abraham could ever imagine. And so when you read, you read that consider Abraham, he believed God and was credited to him as righteousness, understanding then that those who believe are children of Abraham. We are all together. I don't care what ethnic background you have. I don't care what racial background you have, a man-made construct. I don't care what socioeconomic situation you are in. We are all, by faith, unified in Christ. Christ, we are one. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. Did Abraham get it? Not really. But all nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And then listen to this. A few verses down in Galatians 3. You are the sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ, having clothed yourself with Christ. And therefore, because we are one in Christ through Abraham, there is neither Jew nor Greek, that's ethnic, slave or free, That's socioeconomic. Male or female, that is gender. By the way, there's only two. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, listen to this, then you are Abraham's seed. And you're my brother. And you're my sister. And we are fellow heirs of the promises of God. There's a wonderful movie. I'm sure all of you have seen it. It's called The Wonderful Life. And the idea is, here is a man 
who lived his life well. Now, faith is not included in that. And his life had impact beyond anything he could imagine. Beloved, in Christ, those who are faithful have the opportunity to be used by God to accomplish more than you can ever imagine. As God takes your faithfulness and your story and his sovereignty and accomplishes his eternal purposes. God is faithful as we are faithful to accomplish his purpose. Father, thank you for the example we have of Abraham. Thank you for one who ended well. Father, no matter what the struggles may be now or in the days ahead, (coughs) you call us to faithfulness. You call us to depend upon you. You call us to demonstrate that you are our strength, that you are our completeness, that you are our fullness. (coughs) That, Father, we depend upon your wisdom and your direction, even in the midst of our confusion. Father, I pray that you would help us to be like Abraham, all of us, to be running well. Father, I pray for those that may not know your son as their savior this morning, that they might come and speak to me or someone else to be certain of that relationship. And Father, we thank you that you will accomplish what you will seek to accomplish in our lives that is beyond anything that we can even imagine for your glory and for your honor and for your kingdom. And we ask it in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.